back to another Mac Bandwagon episode or Mac Bandwagon podcast episode. I'm your host, as usual, Sam Thoman, joined as always by Zach Foley. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing good, man. Uh, I tell you what, it has been a crazy couple of days in the Mac universe and just college football in general. There's been news coming at us left and right. My head is spinning a little bit, but I'm excited to talk about it. Oh, no doubt. And, and on that note, we've got a special guest joining us. You guys know him. You probably love him. James Jimenez. How are you doing, James? My head, too, is spinning, and I sometimes forget I am orientated upon this earth. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, I'm good. James, it's, <laughs> it's good. funny. It's funny, James, because right before you got on and before we started recording, Sam and I were talking and you know, every week as we're preparing for our show, we prepare, you know, this, this Google Doc of our segments and what we're going to talk about. And I had put all this stuff into our first segment, our news segment that we were going to talk about this week. And right before the show started, me and Sam were like, we just got to throw all that out. Let's just toss it because so much has happened here in the last 24 hours that we got to address. Yeah, I remember when everything was starting to come down, I got onto the work slack. And I was like, so uh, about that schedule. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, what's, and what's crazy, while like you guys were probably on Twitter, I was actually playing like football, and I didn't like until like I was done playing like football at Fallout Field. If you, you're from the area, you know where that is. Like, shit just hit the fan for me. Like, it, it came all down at once. It was just like, it was it was unbelievable to say the least. Well, we're just gonna jump straight into it. I mean, what do you guys want to t- touch on first? We got so much to touch on. Uh, Zach, is there anything you want to kick us off with first? Yeah, I, so I think the topic that everyone wants to talk about is kind of this this movement that has developed over the last, what, 48 hours, maybe 72 hours on, on Mac Twitter with I think it. I think it started with Buffalo and, and a couple players from Buffalo, including Jared Patterson's, you know, tweeting out that you know they wanted to play this fall. Now that the Big Ten made that decision, and now that the Pac-12 and and the Mountain West are both reconsidering, so it started with Jared Patterson, and then kind of made its way to you know some 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 coaches and some uh, some players from Kent State said the same thing, and the Miami players put out a statement saying the same thing, and now it seems like the the MAC presidents and Commissioner Steinbrecher have have seen that and heard that. And it looks like they're going to meet on Saturday to, to reconsider everything, which if you had told me that a week ago, I would have said you were crazy, but here we are. Um, I guess, you know, that's the way it is in 2020 where things, something starts on Twitter and it gains momentum and sooner or later it reaches the people in high places. And here we are all of a sudden, it seems maybe there's a chance that we're going to have Mac football this fall again. And uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of conflicting feelings on that. I'd love to hear your guys takes on it. Um, You know, I'll, I'll, you know, I want to, talk about it as well but i think it's there's a lot to unpack there yeah uh the thing the thing about the mac and the potential for playing or not playing is that i think at this point honestly like as as a fandom like mac fans were more or less understanding that we were going to be playing in the spring like i was even having a conversation yesterday with a couple niu fans like looking forward to spring action like we had finally like accepted that you know what we're gonna be playing in the spring and that's fine you know like the mac came out well not the mac itself but like uh, nick pieretovitz i'm gonna get his name wrong i'm sorry of the toledo blade was talking that you know just as far back as tuesday which feels like a week ago at this point you know the mac was cons- was talking about like setting down dates in the spring and having like a week one 
super marathon kickoff at Ford Field, like all 12 teams being there and then like dispersing out to the various campuses and having an eight-week schedule for the championship game, you know, once again, right at Ford Field to end it. And it's like, man, that sounds really dang cool. You know, like I was getting pumped and ready for that. And then everything else comes down. And it's just one of those things where you really feel for the players because they don't particularly have a choice in this. They can only do what the school and what the conference is allowing them to do. And, you know, they want to go out there and play. We're talking about people who are between the ages of 17 and like, I don't know, 22, 23 might be the oldest people on the roster on average. And you're asking them to make a very logical choice, you know, to sit and wait and just be disciplined for that long to have football back. And they look around and, you know, they have all their friends playing football. They look on TV and they see other programs are playing football. So they look out there and say, well, why can't we do that? And you can't help but feel for them. And you can't help but feel for the conference either because the conference is in a bad place. Now, are they going to be able to, to afford it financially or even based on their reputation? Like, can they afford to take that loss in a different sense? So there's really a lot of questions you have to ask when it comes to, you know, the Mac and restarting in the fall. I'll, I'll, I'll let Sam take it from there and kind of go. Uh, yeah, so as James mentioned, it's just like if I was if I was a D1 athlete playing in the Mac or whatever, I would want to play because, you know, if you want to get to the next level, you have to play. And sitting out of season isn't really in your best options if you have the goal to go to the um, next level. But I just I, I'm just really curious. This kind of brought me to another question. Like, how much do you think this was? A kind of caused by the players and what they what we saw them do on Twitter was it the parents like what what was the major factor in your guys's eyes to why they decided to reconsider well I think uh my opinion here is that I think obviously the, the Big Ten's reversal uh was a big domino that the Mac uh you know I think obviously what the Big Ten does has a lot of bearing on on what the MAC does. So whenever the Big Ten reversed course, I think that probably planted that seed in the minds of some players in the MAC, like some of the guys we talked about, you know, Jared Patterson and other guys, you know, you know folks from Kent State and Miami. Um, so I, I can understand why the players would uh, would want that and and would be more inclined to want to play now than they might have been four or five weeks ago when this all you know first came down. Here, here's what I'll, I'll say. I, I have very conflicting feelings on all of this. I do commend Commissioner Steinbrecher and the presidents for at least getting together on Saturday and, and having this conversation, which there, there has been a report that came out, uh, I believe it was in the Toledo Blade and some other places where they did say that it does look like the MAC presidents are set to meet on Saturday to, to have this discussion. Obviously, those are the people that are in the position of leadership, in the position to be able to make a decision here. I think a quality of good leadership is the ability to listen to the group of people that you are leading and, and hear them out. And even if you, know, you don't agree with the stance that they take, and even if you're not going to ultimately change your mind, at least be able to consider that stance and talk about it and debate whether or not it's beneficial for the group. So I... I really do uh, commend uh, Commissioner Steinbrecher and the presidents for at least having this conversation. It doesn't mean they're going to change their mind. It doesn't mean the Mac's going to be coming back and playing football next month, but at least they are hearing 
what the athletes are saying. They're hearing what the coaches are saying. They're saying they want to play. And I think when, when they hear that, I think they have a responsibility to at the very least have the conversation and say, Hey, has anything changed here in the last five weeks? Obviously the big 10 has come out. I think for them, the more widely available, um, you know, rapid tests and testing capacity was a big reason for big 10 presidents to reverse course. And they felt that they could do this safely. Um, if, if the Mac presidents reach that same conclusion, um, then, hey, maybe we'll have Mac football here in, in a couple of weeks. I don't know. I, what I do know is whether it's next month or five months from now, I'm going to be excited to watch Mac football. I just think that, um, I don't know. I don't envy the presidents and Commissioner Steinbrecher for, for the being in the position to have to make this decision because I don't, no matter what decision you make, there's going to be a lot of people that are upset about it. No, certainly. That's always going to be something that's going to happen when we talk about these types of things. And, you know, I, I hate to like put the highlight on us as sports journalists and podcasters, but, you know, we're not rooting against this. It's yeah. not like it's not like we're demanding that college football be canceled for the sake of it being canceled. It's like we're really excited about back football. Like I was just talking about, I was really excited for a spring season and I accepted it. And now I have to say, oh, crap. Now I got to get ready for an October season. And I'm looking at it from that perspective and saying, well, now the student athletes have to go through that where you've been adjusting for the last, however many months, I think it was back in July or August when they declared this it was over the last month and a half. It's been, okay, we're getting ready for the game, we're getting ready for the spring, getting ready for the spring. And now it's, can you be ready in three weeks? And that's going to be very, very hard on them. And so like, I just can't help but feel it's a lot of feeling. Yeah. Here. Yep. And, and, you know, I, I feel for Mac presidents as well. Uh, Commissioner Steinbrecher, you know, when they first announced this, really made an emphasis on health. He wanted to be sure about the health of the student athletes. And, you know, they've been testing multiple times a week per league protocol at all 12 of the Mac programs. Now, we don't have really clear numbers in terms of like who's been affected and who hasn't. I know uh, the Michigan Mac schools have been especially evasive on that so we don't know like how bad it is at these places but you look around at like the sec and like the big 12 where they're having like 50 60 70 students testing positive or like being close or being contact traced and you know georgia southern their 35 inactives last week and you and you begin to wonder is like you know maybe 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 we're right to wait but alas like i said there's so many different things if they think that you know, that uh, the cost of testing has gone down and that, you know, they've looked around at the other leagues and figured out some best practices and think they can get this off the ground. You know, that, that's good on them. But, you know, I'm going to be really hesitant to come out and say, like, that they're making a good move here, even if that move means bringing back Mac football, which is, like, the one thing that I love more than anything. Mm -hmm. And I reiterate your point, James. Like, I'm, I'm on Ball State's campus right now. I want Maction football maybe more than anybody right now because I want to see my Cardinals, whether they go 5-7 and seven again or potentially like 8-0 depending on the schedule that turns out. But I'm just curious, like, what do you guys in your mind think that this kind of changes the dynamic in college football? Because we've seen conferences in the past have the most control, do whatever they want. And now with these players – kind of influencing them do you think that they see that power and are like 
hey, let's let's start implementing. Like I know Northwestern a couple years ago or a few years ago tried to do like a union. What do you guys think like that the players now have the power and they'll they'll try to use it to their advantage? Yeah, I've talked about this in the past. Uh, back in my column in, I also believe that was July or August, right around when this is getting, all getting canceled, I talked about uh, that union movement back in 2013 and how the union or the labor board kind of nullified that effect. There's a future, I think, where the players can get together and create an association of college football players and collectively bargain for their rights. Actually, I think that would be the best thing for the NCAA. And to be certain, you know, players were really instrumental, or if they weren't instrumental, they were very loud. Because that's the thing. You know, as soon as that domino fell, I think everybody knew, like, if the Big Ten domino fell, everything else was going to. Because uh, other conferences seem to respect the Big Ten and the SEC. And the fact that, like, the Big Ten is acquiescing at this point signals to other conferences, well, we might as well try. And that's what's happening here. And like, that's all students are asking for. That's what the students are asking for is a fair shake. And again, not going to blame them for wanting a fair shake at doing a season there. But yeah, they've, they've certainly shown uh, that uh, outside pressure can really affect decision making. And I think moving forward that we're really going to have to look at, you know, the things that players are saying and really take them more seriously. Cause there was, no, because I can remember back like 10, 15 years ago where players would say things and would just be shouted down, but we're not at that point anymore. Like yeah. the people yelling back are getting, you know, quieter and quieter. And that's really empowered players to be able to speak up and say, hey, we're adults. We need to have a say in this. You know, we're putting our bodies out here on the line. So if you want to consume this entertainment ethically, you need to listen to us. And I, so I think that is a positive thing even if I think that this particular cause might be a little misguided. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the short answer for me to your question, Sam, is, you know, is the power in the hands of the players now. I think um, the shorter answer for me is, is yes, there is some nuance to that answer, though. I think it has certainly shifted in the direction of the players where players to nowadays in 2020 with, with social media and, and the amount of coverage uh, that is generated around college athlete, athletics, the amount of money that is generated from college athletics. I think the players are now realizing how, um, you know, this entire system falls apart without them, without their cooperation, right? If they're not there, this, the NCAA's money machine fails to generate that revenue. So I think that right there um, is a, you know, that in itself is a position of power where, where you're, you know, you're a cog, you're a big part in the, you're a big cog in this machine that generates a lot of money for a lot of people across this entire country. And I think that you athletes are starting to, to realize that. I think you look at what, um, you know, over the last month or two, what, you know, with Trevor Lawrence down at Clemson and uh, kind of him putting together that we want to play movement. And then, you know, Justin Fields and people at Ohio State joining in and really, um, really across the country, I think you're really seeing a shift in the dynamics of college athletics where athletic departments and administrators and athletic directors really have to take 
the, the needs and the wants and the demands of the student athletes much more seriously now than, you know, a couple of years ago where, you know, as James said, if a student athlete would speak out, um, you know, that was shot down pretty quickly, even in that Northwestern example that you mentioned, I want to say that was in maybe like 2013, 2014. It wasn't. Yeah. Thirteen. It was 13. Okay. So you think about that. I remember very vividly the, the quarterback for Northwestern there at the time, Kane Coulter was kind of like the face of that movement. And you know, when he came out in the media and, and talked about it, I mean, he was, I don't want to say he was mocked, but he was dismissed. Certainly he was dismissed by that. And uh, I don't think that would happen. I think, I think in today's day and age, you know, the, the media and uh, athletic departments at large are taking the athletes and their demands much more seriously. Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. And I was just kind of curious, uh, like for me, I, I don't think anything changes, but I'm just curious so when they meet Saturday, like kind of like we obviously aren't in the minds of Commissioner Steinbrecher and the uh, ADs, but do you guys think that they will switch or do you think they're going to keep the spring football? I think, uh, I, I think, I think two things. I, I think paramount to the decision for if, if they are going to move to the fall, if they're going to move this start date up and start playing here at the end of October, I think, they're going to have to determine whether or not um, the availability of testing is, I don't, I want they want to make sure that the capacity to test every day or, or much more often is there. And also can they afford that? I think that, I think the financial ramifications of, of that in itself are, are going to be um, central to their decision. The other thing that I think is that, I think with the Big Ten moving back to the fall and, and looking like the Pac-12 and the Mountain West are considering doing the same thing, the MAC could stand to, to make some serious financial gain by being the only conference to play in the spring. I know I saw something on Twitter. I, I, I can't recall the source off the top of my head, and I wish I could. And, and maybe one of you, you guys saw this too, and, and you can um, add in. But I did see something on Twitter where the ESPN has expressed interest you know, in, in an expanded Mac TV package for the spring, right? So if that's the case, if playing in the spring by themselves with, and getting that extra exposure with more games on national television, on ESPN, if that is something that's on the table, I think the Mac would be smart to wait and play in the spring as much as that might pain some people to hear that. I think financially and from an ex, uh, a, a um, exposure standpoint, I think that would make a lot of sense for the Mac. So if that's something that's on the table and if they determine the cost of testing, you know, three times a week or, or every other day or whatever they determine it would be to, to play in the fall, if, if that financial burden is going to be too heavy, then let's just wait for the spring. It'll still be there. Um, but if they do determine that they're able to, to shoulder that financial burden of testing more regularly in the fall and they feel that they can do that safely, then, hey, let's, you know, let's give it a shot and, and we'll all be excited to watch. I know maybe maybe with some you know, conflicting feelings, but we'll all be excited to watch. Yeah, in terms of the meetings, it's going to go one or two ways. But the thing is about that branching dialogue is that before we even get to that dialogue, you have to consider what you're willing to put up with. So like Zach was saying, like you need to make sure you have your testing all in a row. You need to make sure you have all of your protocols in a row for all 12 programs and make sure all 12 programs are committed. Because I don't see this as, you know, I don't see this as a, something you can do if everyone is not on board. Now, once you get past that, once you have everybody saying, okay, 
you know, we're all going to commit to playing a season. We're all going to commit to doing this, this type of testing. We're all going to commit to a certain schedule. Then at that point it is, you know, do you want that exposure in the spring and, you know, kind of hope that, you know, things will change in the remaining four and a half months prior to that season? Or do you want to get there now and, you know, just, you know, look around what everybody else is doing and hope for the best on that one. And, you know, it's, again, just one of those things where they're going to have to be unanimous about it. It might be similar to the decision to cancel in the first place. And then it might take a couple days, I think, because there was a lot of passionate discussion when all that was going on. It, it took like two or three days to finally figure something out. So the one thing that's going to hold back the Mac in that regard is it's logistics. It's always going to be logistics. Like, okay, if tomorrow ESPN comes down and says, okay, we'll pay for testing for all 12 schools, however much it'll take, you know, for those eight weeks or whatever, they will play on, you know, they'll play on Saturday if they have to. You know, that is a major, major part of these discussions. So, like, once they have that part out of the way, they'll be fine. I think the question for them is, you know, is it worth the risk to pay this much money now and have sports now? Or do they think they can afford to wait till testing gets cheaper and they might have a chance to recoup some of their losses in terms of not having fans in the stands should they wait for a spring season? And that's going to be the yes or no question that they're going to be faced with. But I, I'm just kind of like wondering, like with all we're, the conference has still lost all this money with the um, Big Ten, whatever going conference only and whatnot. So like, how much would this season actually gain back for them? Like, obviously you've got the TV deals with ESPN, but the, the Mac's still going to be at a huge loss regardless of whether they play uh, in February or whether they play in October. And the fact that since they only have to play conference, it doesn't really matter when they play because they don't have to worry about other conferences. So personally, I would rather – I don't know what your guys' take is. I would rather see them wait, get their plan down, figure out what they need to, and then play before just jumping the gun saying we're well, going to play in a month. Yeah, the thing is, is like that boat's already out at sea. The Big, the big Ten sent that yeah. to launch. Yeah. So like the Mac doesn't have choice in this. And that, and that I think is what we're ultimately missing in terms like all these discussions that we're having is that like the big 10 really messed it up for a bunch of people in that regard. And most, especially the Mac, like, you know, the Sun Belt was able to figure it out. You know, this conference USA, they were willing to take that risk because they're, you know, kind of desperate conferences and like, you know, just the football culture is a bit different down there as well, but we're so symbiotically dependent on the big 10 that we were messed up by that. But at this point, you just try not to lose more than you've already lost. You know, you're still going to get your sponsorship money from local businesses. You're still going to get that ESPN deal. And honestly, it's the ESPN deal that's the really big thing here. Because if they don't play any games this year, they don't get that money. So, you know, it's just the choice of, well, do we play in the fall or do we try to wait it out for the spring? And I'm sure they're going to talk to ESPN about like the best practices for that as well. Cause ESPN is very interested in having them along. So I don't know at this point, it just feels like there's going to be a choice made and it's going to be made here this weekend. And we're just, they're just going to have to live with the ramifications of whichever choice 
that it is. I personally think they're going to go ahead with the fall season just because they really don't want to get left behind. And I can understand that from plenty of standpoints. But personally, I've been passionately on record for saying this. I just don't see the reason why we're doing this. It's like, there's nothing to play for at this point. Like, there's nothing to play for at this point. There'll be nothing to play for in the spring. So why not just wait till the spring? But that's how I see it. I just think we, like, not just we, but, like, other conferences, especially the Big Ten, have been peer pressured into playing because we just have this need. We've gotten so used to having this need. We didn't have it, or we had a bastardized version of it, for two weeks and we're sick of it like that's how it feels to me and it feels bad as someone who really loves college football and right has written about college football for close to a decade now it's just it hurts it really does but this is where we are with college football as you know culture essentially whether we want it or not that's just the reality of it and we're going to have to live with it yeah i i agree with that james and and to say what you said in different words in regards to, you know, the big 10, you know, in the non-conference games and stuff like that. I feel like at this point, you know, that that's a sunk cost to say, to say exactly what you said, just with, you know, with a different phrase. I mean, that ship has sailed. I, I don't think that that's going to be something that they're going to consider right now. I think the big part of this to me is going to be the, the TV money and, and whether or not that they think they can get a better TV deal in the, in the spring when they're, they're by themselves. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, the there's the, the big part of this is is the health and safety concern and I think something that you mentioned earlier James in terms of like expecting these guys to turn around and be ready to play a football game in three weeks I would actually probably be just as concerned if if not more concerned about a player getting injured because they're not ready to play as I would be uh, with them, you know, con- contracting the virus. I think there's, there's this, um, I'm, I'm not saying I disagree or agree with this, but I think there's this, there's this narrative going around that, you know, football in and of itself being played will make, you know, COVID spread more likely on a college campus or that a college campus is safer without college football being played. I'm not sure if, if that narrative is, is 100% true. I think I look at the, the COVID case numbers on campuses at some of the Mac schools where no, no football is being played. I mean, Ball State on their campus, I'm pulling this data from the New York Times. I mean, Ball State is up near 1,000 cases on campus. They have like 900. Miami, Ohio is at 836. Uh, Toledo's up over 200. Ball State and, and uh, Miami are far and away the highest. But then you've got Toledo over 200. Central Michigan is around 200. Western Michigan's around 130, 140. So I look at those numbers and then I look up the numbers at some of these schools that have already played football games. And there's, I mean, Army West Point's at 109 cases. South Alabama's at 169. Arkansas State's at 143. I just, there's so many factors that go into that. I don't know that there's a correlation between campus safety and football being played. I do worry about the health and the safety of the student athletes. But I would be just as worried of a student, at, you know, a wide receiver from Bowling Green going out in week one and tearing his ACL because he's not in shape as I would uh, to him, you know, catching the virus. And that's not me not taking the virus seriously. I absolutely 
am, and I absolutely understand the risks that these athletes are undertaking. I just don't know that whether or not there's football, a football team playing on campus has any direct correlation to the health of, of the campus at large. Well, but, certainly, I, under, I understand that. And in the Toledo Blades' report today about a return to fall sports, they're looking at the end of the first semester, so like around Thanksgiving, to get all that to get all that started. And they think in those six weeks, those six weeks there, to play the football games when the rest of the student populace is at home. So that way, they're trying to like minimize, you know, the mitigation yeah. of potential spread. It, it's just that in football, unlike other sports, you know, basketball has like a maximum of fifteen on a roster. You might have I don't know thirty on a lacrosse team, you've got over a hundred people on a football team, you know, including, you know, your first, second, third string, you got your scout guys, you've got equipment guys, all your coaches, something like 15 coaches on a sideline, you know, all media personnel. We're talking about a cluster of like potentially 250, 300 people all in one place. So like if one person gets it, you know, suddenly your entire position group, like your first string receivers might be gone. Or, you know, your second and third string O-linemen might be gone. So yeah. it, it, there, there's that danger there. I think that's really, that really gets to the heart of it. But in terms of what you're talking about, like, another underlying factor in all this is, like, I don't want a player to go out there, you know, I'm not going to name a name specifically, but, like, a player who has, like, good pro dreams and goes out there in the fall and week one just suffers a terrible injury and like all but dashes any hope of being drafted because that would be extremely unfair, especially on such a quick turnaround there, which is why I'm kind of in favor of just waiting and treating this like a normal off season as opposed to just scrambling the jets, so to speak. But I, I do, I do see what you're saying in terms of the numbers. I just think that you do by default have to be concerned because it's such a big roster sure. and we've seen, we've seen the virality because Miami has had coronavirus since January. Yeah. And now here we are in September, and they're still getting cases. Uh, the numbers that you cited with Central, you know, they sound pretty low. But if you consider that, like, when students came back onto campus, you know, during their move-in days, the second day students are moving in, the county declared an emergency because their cases went up nearly 400%. You know, the, the one or two hospitals in the county wouldn't be able to handle all those cases. So, like, that's the kind of thing that we're dealing with here, ultimately. I will say, though, Zach, I can't speak to the other um, colleges, but Ball State, we only have 84 active cases. We do have, like, uh, over 1,000 across the board, like, since we've been here. But we only have 84 active cases. So we've done a relatively good job of minimizing that. But as you mentioned, the injuries, I'm definitely worried about – like, I'm sure we've all watched the NFL this past week. There's been so many injuries, so many leg injuries, so many – because of la the lack of practice, the lack of um, – they. I think they had, like, 14 practices. They didn't have any preseason games. So you're seeing these injuries happen because you don't have a lot of time to prepare, get your body back in shape. And I'm, I would be worried, like you said, if we say let's do it in October, we only get, like, 15 or 20 practices and – a lot of people get hurt because that's that seems what we that's what we've seen from the NFL. 
Yeah, and and you mentioned the scenario, James, of you know a guy taking the field that has potential NFL aspirations. Let's say you know there's a senior at at a Mac school that you know is looking at maybe a mid round draft pick that that goes out week one this year and and you know tears his ACL or or you know breaks his arm or tears his Achilles or something terrible like that. Another scenario that that scares me just as much, or if not more than that, is you think about a lot of programs that um, think of how to say this, a, a lot of freshmen come into college and physically they are not quite yet ready for division one football. They redshirt, they take a year to grow into their bodies and get on a weight training program and a nutrition program. And a lot of these kids, you know, from between their redshirt freshman year or when they enroll at school and, and take the field a year later, there's some kids that, you know, they'll put on 20, 25, 30 pounds. If, if you're in a situation this year where your roster is thin and maybe you have an outbreak in a position group and you're, you're going to force a freshman onto the field who physically is not ready to play division one football that needs that extra year to really grow into his body, that, that you are putting that individual in serious danger. If you're on a football field with, you know, 19, 20, 20, 21-year-old uh, guys that have been in Division One for two or three years, and, and you're a, you know, 17-and-a-half-year-old or 18-year-old freshman that's not fully, you know, developed your physique, you're, you're in serious danger to get hurt there and get a serious concussion or a serious injury. And that scenario to me is, is probably the scariest of all because in that situation, if you put that kid in that position, you're, you're ruining his chances before his career even really starts. And these are the types of scenarios that I really want to avoid if, if I'm a Mac, if I'm a coach or administrator at the Mac right now. Yeah, certainly. I have been down there on those fields because I took pictures last year for Central's football team. And, you know, there are hits down there where like they're on the other side of the field and I viscerally is like, just like brace because I can like feel that hit, even though I didn't see it, I only heard it type deals. So like, yeah, the the speed of the college game is violent. And that's why like I've tended to be in favor of waiting on that. So I I totally get where you're coming from on that one. Yeah, it's it's, going to be interesting. I'm really, like I said uh, a couple minutes ago, I, I do not envy the the presidents and, and commissioner Steinbrecher here for um, for this decision that they're they're going to have to make over the next couple of days because um, there's there's no you know there's no easy answers here. This whole you know whole situation is so unprecedented, and uh, you know whether or not Mac football is back in in one month or or six months, I'm I'm going to be excited to watch it. I just hope that uh, you know hope they can do it safely. I'm there with you, and is James? Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this uh, segment? Yeah, I think I've said pretty much everything that can be said at this point in terms of like all that's left to do is the waiting. I know this episode's going to come out. This episode comes out Friday, yeah. so we won't have so we won't have the decision down until Saturday. We won't be able to get to like the max decision until next week. So like. You know, we've written we've written a comprehensive kind of review of the last 24 hours. You can check out over at hustlebelt.com. Uh, myself and Steven worked all day today, like getting the detail that down. Uh, the Toledo Blade is doing really excellent reporting. You know, they've been really on top of it, you know, even before sites like The Athletic. Like, because Nicole Auerbach's done great work. But yeah, like, she has. Nick Peretovitz and 
Dave over there have done an excellent job on the Mac side of things. And so like all you can do at this point is really just keep an eye out. And of course, you know, if something does change, we're going to shift our priorities over here at Hustle Bell. And we'll let you know, you know, on Twitter how how that'll look and how that'll happen. But above all, I just really hope, you know, for the Mac's sake and for the players' sake that whatever choice they do end up with, that it works out for the best. Cause it like I've repeated ad nauseum on here and on Twitter. It's just I want the best for them. I'm not cheering against them. I just want it to be done right and I want it to be done fair. If they can find a way to do that, good. Yeah. yeah. I think we're all in agreement there. Uh, Zach, is there any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Or not episode, segment. Uh, no, I think I've said everything. You know, I, like I, I keep saying, you know, whether or not Mac football is back in October or February, I'm going to be excited to watch it either way. Um, I, I do, you know, being able to, you know, being able to wake up on a Saturday morning in February or March and watch Mac football all day as a standalone thing with no other competition. There's a big part of me that thinks that would be awesome because I think a lot of the nation, I mean, America has proven over and over again that they love football. And if you put football on TV, they're going to watch it. And I think uh, a lot of these guys that we talk about on this podcast um, if they would hang around and play in the spring, whether it be Jarrett Patterson or Dustin Crum or Drew Plitt or any of these other, you know, high profile Mac players, I think the exposure that they could get in the spring, if they're playing, if they're the only FCS conference playing, I think it would be a pretty cool thing to see. Uh, so it's going to be interesting for me to see how this all plays out. Yeah. And we want to give a big thanks to James Jimenez for uh, joining us, James. Would you like to let the people know where they can find you? All right. So you can follow us on Hustle, as always, at Hustle, H-U-S-T-L-E-B-L-T. And I have a personal A-V King James. We, we, again, as I mentioned, we'd like to thank James for joining us on this kind of uh, kind of uh, weird 24, 48-hour segment that we had to throw in here. Uh, yeah, I think that's everything we need to touch on. We're going to move into our What If segment. Welcome back to another segment. We just did the general news segment. Now we're going to move into our what if segment. I'll let you take it away, Zach, uh, explain the segment again. Yeah, sure. I guess I'll do a really quick recap of last week um, because, man, I tell you what, if we would have been playing real football last week and these would have been the results, this would have been a banner day for the Mac. I'm sure you guys have been following on Twitter, but we had a couple of huge upsets here. Uh, first off, Western Michigan goes down to Cincinnati to Nippert Stadium and knocks off Luke Fickle and the Bearcats 40-36. to Heck of a win there uh, for the Broncos. Central Michigan walked down to uh, Memorial Stadium in Lincoln and knocked off Scott Frost and the Cornhuskers 27-20. to Northern Illinois, uh, hearkening memories of 2003, went out to College Park to take on Maryland and knocked off the Terrapins. 10 to 9. And then even though this one wasn't an upset, Sam, uh, your boys went up to Ann Arbor and gave Michigan and uh, Jim Harbaugh all they could handle. Ball State uh, lost that one 36 to 24. Um, the other scores quickly, Akron couldn't quite get, pull off uh, the victory out in New Mexico. They lost to New Mexico State 20 to 17. Um, Eastern Michigan did pull off the victory versus Coastal Carolina 43 to 31. 
Ohio hung tough for a half, but couldn't quite uh, keep it up against Boston College. They did end up losing that game 41 to 23. And then uh, Toledo did right the ship in week two and knocked off San Diego State 31 to 24. Real quick, Sam, before we get into our picks for this week, um, any one of those upsets or anything in general that, that really sticks out to you from last week? I was real sad about Akron losing. Like I was riding the Zips United train, but Akron let me down this week. I'm I'm super disappointed in that. I'm I'm super proud of my Ball State Cardinals going up to Ann Arbor and only losing by 12, which I thought they'd lose by like 20 or 30 at this point. So, you know, I'm super proud of that. I was super super shocked how Western Michigan upset Luke Fickle in Cincinnati. But yeah, I think that that's kind of my takeaways from this past week. Yeah, I was also really hoping the Zips would pull it off out in Las Cruces. They, they did outscore uh, the Aggies 17-10 to 10 in the second half, but they were down 10 nothing at halftime. They just couldn't get anything going offensively in the first half, and uh, that 10 nothing hole, that, that proved to be uh, a little bit too much for uh, the Zips to overcome. Um, so in the interest of time here, Sam, if it's okay with you, let's go ahead and move into this uh, week three preview here. Um, I'd love to get your, uh, your opinions and your picks on these games. Um, so I'm just going to run down through the matchups here and the, and the spreads and the totals that we came up with for this week. Um, boy, Akron, I tell you what, it's too bad they couldn't get a victory last week against New Mexico State because this week it does not get any easier. Akron travels down to Clemson to take on Trevor Lawrence and the Tigers. We have Clemson at minus 47 right now, the over-under sitting at 59. It's a huge number, but man, Clemson is just so good. Your boys, Ball State, uh, going down to um, going down to Bloomington. I believe this one was going to be in Bloomington, right? Or was this one going to be in Indianapolis next year? Uh, like this was year? this was uh, Bloomington this year. Okay, so yeah, uh, Ball State going down to Memorial Stadium in Bloomington. Uh, we had the Hoosiers as a ten point favorite there, with the over under being sixty one. Uh, Bowling Green takes on their second Big Ten opponent of the season, taking on Illinois. Not quite as daunting of a task as it is to go into the horseshoe and take on Ohio State, but still, um, uh, you know, a tough mountain to climb nonetheless. We have the fighting Illini as 20-point favorites there with the total being 53. Uh, Mentioning the horseshoe and Ohio State, this week it is Buffalo's turn to go in there and see how they stack up against the, the Big Ten favorite. See if Jarrett Patterson and company can do any better than uh, the uh, the uh, the Falcons did a few weeks ago. I believe the final on that Bowling Green game was fifty-seven to three. Uh, certainly, we think Buffalo could probably keep it a little bit closer than that. We have Ohio State as twenty-eight point favorites there, with the total being sixty. Central Michigan—they're uh, looking to pull off their second straight Big Ten upset in a row uh, after knocking off Nebraska last week. They go down to Evanston to take on Northwestern. We have the Wildcats as a six-point favorite with the total being 49. Uh, Cincinnati uh, travels to Oxford to take on the Red Hawks, one of the oldest, most storied rivalries in college football that nobody talks about. Cincinnati has dominated as of late. I believe they've won the last 17, if I'm not mistaken, something in that ballpark. Uh, We have the Red Hawks as six-point underdogs at home there with the total being 54. Dustin Crum and Kent State go down to Lexington to take on the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, Second MAC matchup versus Kentucky this year. Eastern Michigan took on um, Kentucky in week one. Uh, Gave them a good game, but couldn't quite pull it off. We have Kentucky as 14-point favorites there. Um, Another great G5 rivalry that not many people know about. Uh, Ohio taking on Marshall at home. Uh, The Thundering Herd travel to Athens to take on the Bobcats. We have Ohio as a one-point favorite there. 
Uh, our first MAC conference game of the year, Northern Illinois travels up to Ypsilanti to take on Eastern Michigan. We have the Eagles as a slight two-point favorite there with a 51-point total. Uh, Toledo going up to Eastern Michigan – or I'm sorry, going up to East Lansing, I should say, to take on Michigan State. Uh, if you recall a few weeks back when before non-conference games got canceled, I did have this as one of my upset picks of the season. We have Michigan State as 12-point favorites here with the total being 44. Western Michigan travels to South Bend to take on Notre Dame for the first time in program history. We have the Fighting Irish as 21-point favorites with a 56 uh, for the over-under there. That was a lot of words I just said. Uh, Sam, uh, do you want to maybe kick us off here, and, and, and we'll start at the top of this list with Akron and Clemson. You want to give us our pick, your, your pick there, and we'll run down through this real quick. Uh, yeah, I can. Um, I Akron at Clemson. I'm going to go with Clemson. I know I've been riding the Akron train a little bit, but I think Clemson's just too good. Trevor Lawrence, that's all you really need. Minus 47, and I'm going to say over 59. Yeah, I, I normally at 47 points would be way too many for me. Uh, this bit me in real life this past weekend. I took uh, UTEP was plus 43 against Texas. I took UTEP and Texas ended up winning 59 to three in that game. Just goes to show you sometimes these big point spreads are justified. I, I couldn't see Akron covering this number as much as I hate to say it. I, I could also see, I mean, I could see Clemson going over this total by themselves as much as I hate to say it. I could see this one being like 62 to three or something like that. So I'm going to agree with you there, Sam. And now How about we got Ball, Ball State and Indiana. Can, so obviously came close, but no cigar last week in, uh, in Ann Arbor. Not quite as daunting of a task to go down to Bloomington. I know you were there last year when Ball State took on Indiana at Lucas Oil in Indianapolis. Uh, what do you think about the Cardinals' chances going down to, to Bloomington? Uh, I, I like actually their chances pretty well. I know I'm a little bit of Ball State homer, but last year, neutral field, we only lost to them by 10. I'm really confident in this team. We got even better than um, the previous year. I'm really excited about Drew playing what he can do. I'm going to say Ball State plus 10, but I'm going to say under 61. I'm going to agree with you on the plus 10 there. I think I'm going to go with the over in this game. I think these are two teams with really good offenses. I think if you look at Indiana, Michael Penix Jr. is a great young quarterback up and coming that did a lot of good things last year in the second half of the season. It's going to be some great quarterback play in this game. I could see this one being like, you know, 41 to 35 or something like that. I do think Indiana wins, but Ball State keeps it within single digits. I, I see this one going over. Let's see. What do we got next here? Bowling Green, the Falcons travel down to Illinois uh, to uh, take on the Fighting Illini and Lovey Smith. Illinois made their first bowl game in, uh, I want to say, four or five years last year uh, under Lovey. So what do you think here, Sam? Obviously, Bowling Green – uh, coming off a victory over an uh, FCS opponent last week. They obviously got smoked by Ohio State in week one. Can Bowling Green keep this within three touchdowns? Uh, personally, I don't think so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with Lovey Smith. I wasn't a fan of him in the NFL, but I think he's, I think he's a really good uh, head coach for Illinois. I'm going to roll with Illinois minus 20 over 53. I'm going to be a little bit contrarian on this one. I think I think Balls, or Bowling Green keeps this within the number. I certainly don't think they win the game. But I also, you know, Illinois' offense, they don't necessarily impress me. Um, I, I think this would be a low-scoring game. I'm going to say Bowling Green keeps this somewhere around, you know, 14 to 17. I think this one stays under. I could see this one being like, you know, 30 to 17 or 30 to 14, something like that. 
Um, we got, how about we, this is an interesting matchup to me. We have Jared Patterson and Kevin Marks going down to Columbus and uh, talking, uh, I'm sorry, going up against uh, Justin Fields in Ohio State. Obviously, it didn't work out too well for Bowling Green a couple weeks ago. What do you think about the Bulls' chances in Columbus? I like Buffalo. I'm a big fan. I mentioned it several times. But Justin Fields is just Justin Fields. And at the end of the day, Ohio State's just too good. I'm going to have Ohio State minus 28. I'm going to say over 60. I think I'm going to go ahead and go with the Bulls on this one, Sam. I, I look at Ohio State's schedule they do have a tendency to play bully and blow some teams out, but there are some examples in their recent history where, um, you know, this number would have been too much. I think back last year to their season over, they, they played Florida Atlantic and uh, that final score of that game was 45 to 21. I could see, I don't know that I could see Buffalo getting to 21 points, but I could certainly see them holding Ohio state under 45. I think, Ohio State certainly wins this game going away, but I think it stays somewhere around 20. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Ohio State minus 28 here, and I'm going to think this game just goes just a bit over the total. So that brings us next to the Chippewas and Central Michigan taking on Northwestern. Um, obviously, Chippewas got a big victory last week going down to Lincoln and beating Scott Frost and the Cornhuskers. I know neither of us are very high on Nebraska. Northwestern certainly – uh, you know, they're, they're a good program that has had a couple of down years the last few years. Um, they've certainly struggled a lot, especially on offense. What do you think about the Chippewas' chances, Sam? Um, I like them. I, uh, I watched a uh, Northwestern-Sanford game. I thought uh, Pat Fitzgerald's defense is definitely up there. It's definitely amazing. But I'm going to say Central Michigan is going to um, get plus six, and I'm going to say under 49 due to – uh, Northwestern defense. Yeah, I'm going to agree with both of those. Um, I think this is a this is one that has a low scoring game written all over it. Um, I, I do think that the chips can can cover this number. I think that because I don't think Northwestern's offense is going to be score be able to score too much. This one to me would be like you know 20 to 14 something like that. Uh, we have our second matchup in a row here, Sam, with uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats and Luke Fickle. As I mentioned uh, when we first talked about this game, Cincinnati has dominated this series with Miami here over the last 15 or 20 years. Uh, do you think Miami can break the streak this year and get a victory? They're getting six points at home with the total at 54. After watching or after seeing last week's result of them getting upset over uh, uh, against uh, Western Michigan, I think Miami definitely has a great shot considering I would consider them better than Western Michigan. So I'm going to go Miami plus six uh, over 54. I'm going to, I'm going to agree on the plus six. I think this stays under the number, uh, but I'm going to take it a step further. I not only do I think Miami covers this number, I think Miami wins this game and breaks the streak in the, in the battle for the bell. I believe that's the name of this rivalry. I'll have to look that up. I hope I just didn't butcher that for, for any Miami fans listening out there. Um, but hopefully the fact that I'm picking the Red Hawks to, to win this game uh, outright will make up for that. But I do like Chuck Martin and squad's chances here uh, to finally get over the hump. Another potential upset opportunity here, Sam. We got Kent State going down to Lexington and taking on the Kentucky Wildcats and Mark Stoops. Uh, Kentucky is 1-0 against the MAC this year after beating Eastern Michigan in week one. What do you think? Can, uh, can Dustin Crum and company go down and, and pull off an upset? I think they can cover the spread, to say the least. I don't know if they'll get an upset. 14 is quite a big number for as good as Dustin Crum is. I'm going to go Kent State plus 14 under 63. 
Yeah, I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna agree on the uh, on this on the spread. I think definitely Kent State covers that number. I do think this one goes over. I could see this being a, a bit of a high scoring game, uh, but I'm gonna agree with you. And I think Kent State does get the cover here. Uh, Marshall at Ohio. This is another underrated Group of Five rivalry. Uh, these two teams played last year in Huntington, uh, Ohio, on the road, almost knocked off uh, the Thundering Herd. I want to say they lost that game by two points. I think. Um, so now the, the, the script is flipped this year. They're in Athens, Ohio, laying one to Marshall. Um, what do you think, Sam? Can does Ohio's, Ohio get the, uh, the, uh, the rivalry victory here? I'm going to say no, just for the fact that I love the movie We Are Marshall. So I got to roll <laughs> with Marshall on this one. Marshall plus one under 56 on this one. I'm going to go against you on this one. I think Ohio pulls off the victory. I think they have a bad taste in their mouths uh, from the game last year. If I remember correctly, there was some controversy at the end of that game. I want to say Ohio was down two and went for two to tie it, and they, they didn't get it. I'm going to have to look that up a bit, but there was so, something at the end of that game uh, that uh, was close, and I'm going to say Ohio remembers that and bounces back this year. What do you think about Northern Illinois and Eastern Michigan here, Sam? Obviously, this is our first conference game of the season. Uh, Eastern Michigan laying two points at home, basically saying these teams are pretty much even. Uh, what do you think here? Obviously, Eastern Michigan coming off of a bowl season. Northern Illinois looking to bounce back after a kind of a letdown season last year. What do you think in this one? Um, I'm going to say Eastern Michigan minus two for the simple fact that even though I'm not a big fan of Chris Creighton, I think I'm, I'm a bigger fan of him than Thomas Hammock. I'm going to have Eastern Michigan at home getting the first conference win of the season, and I'm also going to go over 51 as well. Yeah, I think um, – in this hypothetical scenario here, I'm going to go with Northern Illinois only because, again, hypothetically, they're coming with momentum after beating Maryland last week, 10-9. to 9. And after getting a victory on the road against a Big Ten team, I think they're going to come into this one fired up. And I think Northern Illinois is going to win this one outright. Uh, I'll also, I'll take the under in this one as well. Uh, what about Toledo? Brian Kobach and, and company go up to Eastern – or Eastern, I keep saying that, East Lansing – to take on Michigan State and uh, Mel Tucker in his first year with uh, the Spartans. What do you think in this one, Sam, uh, Toledo catching 12? Um, I'm going to say Toledo plus 12 under 44. I, I'm not a big fan of the Mel Tucker hire to begin with. I know a lot of people aren't high on Michigan State to begin with. I'm going to go Toledo plus 12 under 44. I'm with you there. I'll agree on both fronts. And then quickly this last one, we got Western Michigan traveling down to South Bend. Uh, to take on the Fighting Irish, Western Michigan, similar to Northern Illinois, coming off a big road win against uh, Cincinnati. Do you think that momentum carries over here uh, against the Fighting Irish, Sam? Um, yeah, and the, for the simple fact that my brother is a graduate of Notre Dame, I'm going to go against him. So I'm going to go uh -huh. Western Michigan plus 21. I'll say I'll say over 56. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you on the spread. I'll go with the under, um, similar to Northern Illinois. I think Western Michigan comes into this one with some momentum. Uh, come, you know, riding high off that victory over the Bearcats last week. I think Western Michigan can keep this within two touchdowns. I think this is a low-scoring game. Yeah, I agree with you. And is there any final thoughts you want to add to this uh, segment, Zach? No, not really. I think um, we'll, we'll post our records on Twitter. I know we didn't get to go over everything this week just in the interest of time. We can post our records on Twitter. We'll post the, uh, the spreads and the odds for this week uh, tomorrow on Friday afternoon after the, this episode goes up. And then obviously, as in past weeks, the box scores will go out on Saturday. Uh, looking forward to that.
Yeah, and before we end this uh, episode, when when you're watching college football and you need some beer, looking for some suggestions for what to drink this weekend while watching sports or winding down the evening after a hard day of working from home, we're here to help with Belts Beer Garden. Every week, our very own Dave Drury tastes craft beer from around the country and, and breaks down the profiles like a true expert sommelier. Check out hustlebelt.com every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern for his latest recommendation or follow on Instagram at Belts Beer Garden for 24 seven updates. All right, everybody, for our next segment here, uh, we have another Akron guest as we continue our, our, uh, our run of uh, Akron interviews here. Our next guest here, a very special guest. We're excited to have him on the podcast. Uh, played three years at Akron. He was a uh, first team all Mac as a junior. Uh, that same year led the team to the NCAA tournament. They beat um, Ohio in the Mac tournament final that year to get to the NCAA tournament. You can find him on Twitter at Tall Ass Tree. Uh, we are joined here today by Demetrius Treadwell. Demetrius, how you doing, man? I'm doing really well, man. I'm good. Life is good. Cool, man. Glad, happy to hear that. We're uh, glad to have you join us. Join us. We appreciate it. Um, we want to jump right in this. Talk to you a little bit about your time at Akron. You know, our episode this week we're focusing on a lot of Akron sports and some of the successful teams. Uh, that Akron has had over the, the past, you know, 10, 15 years. Obviously, you were a member of one of those teams back in 2013 when you guys went to the NCAA tournament, um, you know, won the MAC championship that year and everything. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, that team that year, what made you guys so good, and what that was like on Selection Sunday to hear your name called on CBS. Uh, you know, first of all, we had, like, such a, a special brotherhood that year. All the guys were very close, close-knit. And, I mean, of course, we had a whole lot of talent on our team, ranging from, you know, guys from the top of the roster to the bottom. Uh, we had an amazing point guard that year in Alex. We had, you know, who I thought was the player of the year in the conference, and Zeke Marshall, and then, you know, myself, Nick Hardy, Chauncey, Brian. So we had a lot of special guys, and we all just – we, uh, you know, we played in the championship game a year before, and we lost Ohio. So we just had pretty much a chip on our shoulder, and we wanted to, you know, come back and prove that we can win. And, you know, just hearing our name on Selection Sunday was a good feeling. It was the only time that I heard it, so it was good. And I always wanted the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. And for those who don't know, uh, Demetrius, you play overseas, correct? Yes, I do. And I – so I became a Ball State student last year, and that's when I still – that's when I started to get into kind of max sports and whatnot. So for people like me who didn't get to see you in college and for others like me, how would you describe your style of play? Like, was it was it shooting? Was it rebounding? Was it block? Was it just like all sorts of – Man, in college I did all sorts of things. Of course, my best attribute I feel like – when I played in college was uh was rebounding. Of course, I always was one of the best rebounders, especially on the offensive end. And I felt like I was always one of the best defenders. I was able to guard one through five, as well as well as being able to throw me the ball on the block. And you know, I scored here and there, like you know. So I had a pretty much all around game. I just felt like I was a very smart player and a utility guy that did anything that the, that the team needed to win. Good stuff. So um, thinking back on your time in the MAC, or, or I guess I should say generally speaking, what was the, the, the coolest place to, to travel to, the best environment? And it could be a MAC team or in a non-conference game, a tournament, something like that. What was the like most memorable game or most memorable venue you, you remember playing in? 
I mean, the most memorable venue probably would be uh, when we played in the NCAA tournament. We played up in uh, Palace Auburn Hills. But as far as, like, in conference, I would say playing at OU, Ohio University, they always had, like, some of the biggest crowds. It was always amazing playing there. And, I mean, you can never leave out Kent either, like, going right down the street 15 minutes down the road playing against them. And that hostile environment was amazing also. Okay, and so you mentioned you're, you you consider yourself a great defender, and I maybe you don't want to admit this, but who was kind of the toughest person to guard back when you were around in Akron? Uh, Javon McCrady went to Buffalo. He was always a low. Yeah. He was probably the toughest guy I had to guard in, in conference, and I know I had to see him twice a year for three years in a row, so yeah, he was he was tough. Yeah, I remember him. He, he was a big dude. Um, you, you mentioned Demetrius. You mentioned in your your uh, when you're talking about venues. You mentioned Kent State, and obviously the rivalry between Akron and Kent is 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 very heated, being only 15 minutes apart. And also the fact that you know both pro, both basketball programs have been really successful here over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, could you for for someone you know for folks like us who are on the outside looking in that might not know quite as much about that rivalry. Talk to us a little bit about kind of like the environment there and the atmosphere between Kent and Akron and what makes that rivalry so great. I mean, just going to be, you know, they're only 15 minutes or so, maybe 20 minutes away. So we see these guys, whether it's in the summertime playing pickup, we all getting recruited by the same type of, they recruit the same guys. Uh, we go to the same parties, like all of this, you know, everything. So, we see these guys, I mean, you know, probably like 30 times out the year. Yeah. So, I mean, then as far as just playing against them, man, like we're pretty much almost the same team every year. Uh, like they, we all got the same type of guys. Um, the environment is just crazy. Uh, the fans are crazy. Like, I mean, I just, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it, man. It's just something that you just got to be almost involved in to like really so, you know, really understand it all the way. I'm kind of curious, uh, given your Twitter handle, how did you get – what's the backstory on your nickname of Tree? So, uh, I moved from East Cleveland, Ohio. I moved to Euclid, Ohio, and I absolutely knew nobody when I moved there. And just randomly one day, like, guys started calling me. I had, like, this big old afro, and I was, like, a tall, skinny guy. And, like, some of the kids in the neighborhood, they didn't know me, and they just started calling me, like, George Bush. I hated that nickname. <laughs> I told them, stop calling me that. Uh, you know, that went on for, like, maybe a week or so, then they start calling me Bush. I hated that also. And then somebody just randomly one day was like, tree, 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 and it just stuck ever since then. So that's the story on tree. I got, I got yeah. the nickname. Yeah, tree, I'd say tree's a little bit better than Bush or George yeah, Bush. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> So, uh, so Demetrius, in, in your time since you graduated from Akron, you've, you've played professionally, you know, you've been in Argentina, Israel, France. Mm -hmm. um, what's your, if, you know, throughout your pro career, what, what's kind of that experience been, being able to travel to these different countries, experience these different cultures, and, and get paid to play basketball? I mean, it, it seems like a good gig. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've loved it. Yeah, I've loved, I wouldn't say every second of it, but I love pretty much my whole time doing it. I mean, it's really tough mentally, but besides that, that's the hardest part is just being away from your family and things of that sort, uh, you know, uh, nine to ten months out of the year. But I'm blessed at the same time to be able to do this every year and 
being able to see all these different uh, cultures and just just being exposed to so many things has really broadened my horizon on just everything in life. It's just made me a more well-rounded person. And continuing on that, so uh, we, we talked recently off air, kind of, you uh, talked about your broken tibia and you said you're all healthy. So is the plan for the considerable future to keep playing basketball or have you thought of a kind of post-basketball playing career? I mean, I definitely have some stuff that I'm thinking about post-basketball career, but my I still feel like I got like another five years of good basketball left in these legs. So I'm going to try to max that out as long as I can. Yeah, good stuff. Um, so of those three uh, countries that I mentioned you've been to, Argentina, Israel, and France, um, I'm always interested in, in like food in different places. So like out of those three places there, which of those three countries in your experience had the best food? Argentina. They had a lot of barbecue. They eat a lot of like meat and sado and stuff off the grill. So it was amazing, man. You can really lose yourself out there and get kind of fat if you don't take, eat the right thing. <laughs> I, I get that. I get that. So uh, kind of going back to your Akron. So what's kind of been your relationship like with Akron since you left? Do you still have a good relationship? Have you been back to visit for a game? And what do you think of the current Akron basketball program? Because I think that if I'm if I remember correctly, they were the first seed in the um, MAC last year. So what, what are your thoughts on the current program? I haven't really been back like I talk to like some of the guys and I see like some of the players and stuff in the off season, but um, I really haven't been back that often because I'm gone. But when I'm home in the summertime, like uh, I'm usually moving around and I'm with my family so much. So I really don't have like a close knit relationship with anybody at Akron right now, but I do pay close attention to what's going on. And John Gross is doing an amazing job right now. And they were having a special year and looking like they were going to turn them in. They had the player of the year, so they were doing real good things there this season. I was I was a proud alumni. You mentioned, uh, you know, that obviously they didn't get to play in the MAC tournament this year. Mm -hmm. But the MAC tournament in Cleveland, uh, you know, to me, I think is like one of the most underrated environments for a conference tournament of any conference tournament. Obviously, you won it once. You were in the championship game another time. What was kind of describe that environment for, you know, those final two days there in Cleveland, the MAC tournament, because, you know, for, as an outsider looking in, you, you can feel the electricity coming through the TV. But what's it like to be there in person? Oh, it's very, it's very electric, and it's even more special to me because I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. So, you know, I get a certain type of butterflies in my stomach when I was coming home to, like, play in that environment. And I believe uh, in 2013 when we played OU, I think we had the biggest crowd in uh, MAC tournament history. I think we still had a record for that. So that's, that game was very special. It was just electric, right? It just – it was an amazing environment to play in. And, you know, we get to play on the NBA floor in the NBA arena. So that was just – that was special. Um, so uh, you mentioned Argentina's food. So if I was ever to be on Akron's campus in the near future, where should I head for the best uh, food in the, on campus? On Akron's campus? Wow. Uh, or, even off, or even off campus, like five minutes away from campus. Yeah, I probably went went off campus to like Chipotle or something like that. That was my that was my thing when I was in school. Yeah. I was going to Chipotle a lot. Yeah, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with those burritos there. Um, well, uh, Demetrius, before we before we get out, let you get out of here. 
one final question for me and then Sam, if you have anything final before we let uh, Demetrius go, obviously uh, NBA playoffs going on right now. Clippers won last night. The heat just knocked out the bucks. Uh, got, we got, we got to get your opinion on this before we let you go. How do you see the rest of the playoffs playing out? Uh, I know everyone seems, you know, it seems like we're heading for an LA versus LA showdown in the West. Um, what, what do you think? Who, who do you see coming out on top this year? Uh, I feel like the Lakers are going to win it. I'm a big LeBron James fan, so I would love him to see him get another ring. Uh, I feel like it'll be the Lakers in the Heat in the finals, and I feel like the Heat, I mean, the Lakers will win that in five. Okay. Okay, I respect that. So I've kind of got two quick questions. So, one, how would you how would you feel because the NCAA is kind of considering doing a bubble format for the – like uh, March Madness and possibly conference tournaments. If that would you would you have in, would you have played in a bubble? Would you have liked that? Like, what are your thoughts surrounding a bubble? And then an, uh, another quick question: Like, what do you think of the state of the NBA? Do you think I know I talked to I've talked to a few like old timer people who think it's kind of like ridiculous while all the like thousand one us. So I was just kind of curious to get your thoughts on both both of those. Uh, I would have definitely played in a bubble. I feel like playing in a bubble, it just eliminates all of the outside distractions. You can be the best basketball player that you could be inside of the bubble. So I would have loved to do it. And I feel like uh, anything at this point, as long as it's safe for, like, the players and, you know, everything like that, that they should do that. And then as far as, like, the state of the NBA right now, it's I'm going to just use one word, it's soft. It's soft <laughs> right now. And I – I mean, I'm a big basketball fan, so I enjoy watching it. Like, but it's it's definitely very, very soft right now, and I definitely would like to see more, a little bit more physical basketball being played in the NBA. They they going to review too many calls and things of that nature right now. The game is just it's too choppy right now. Demetrius, uh, one one final question that kind of brings me up: Do you, because you consider yourself, you mentioned your defensive style of play. Do you think you could have? made it in this kind of current age of current basketball? I know you only played, what, like six, seven years ago, but with the way things are going, do you think you could have? Um, I know you're an excellent athlete, but, like, do you – or do you think, like, you would have, like, suffered? In, like, I, I don't know how to phrase that. Like, no, I actually really feel like I would have been better in today's game because everything is downsizing. You know, yeah. with, like, the speed and quickness as well as my strength, it just fits today's game just perfectly. I'm looking at guys like Draymond Green and things of that nature, and that's pretty much like the, the type of player that I am. So I feel like I would have thrived with, with playing in this type of basketball. Awesome. Well, uh, Demetrius, we, we thank you again for stopping by and taking a couple minutes to talk with us here today. Um, we wish you the best of luck. I know you said you're all healed up with, with your legs, so hopefully uh, things get figured out here in terms of this, this pandemic, and hopefully you can find a home overseas for – uh, to continue your basketball career coming up. Everyone, again, uh, if you want to find Demetrius online, you can find him at Twitter or at Paul <laughs> Ass Tree. Uh, look him up there. And uh, Demetrius, thank you again for joining us today. It was a pleasure talking to you, man. Have a good one. You too, man. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, guys. So for our next segment here, uh, I'm going to be riding solo. Sam had something pop up. But we have another uh, Akron interview for you as we continue our run of, of Akron content. I'm joined today by uh, one of the recent greats of the Akron Zips men's basketball program, three-year starter uh, for the, the, the Zips. And back in 2018, actually set the single-game scoring record for Akron when he put up 48 points on Ball State on the road in Muncie. I'm joined today by uh, Jamon Ivey. Jamon, how you doing, man? 
I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Uh, thank you for allowing me to be on the on this podcast. My first one ever, so make cool. history right here. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're glad to have you. Thank you for stopping by. And um, so I wanted to jump right into it. Uh, I think when when Mac basketball fans hear your name, I think probably the first thing they think of is that 48 point game you had against Ball State a couple years ago. Um, you know, I looked up the box score from that game. I mean, 15 for 23 from the field, nine for 12 from three. Talk to us about that night a little bit. I mean, that I think that we can all relate. Anyone that's ever played basketball, they can relate to that feeling of like you see the first few go in and you start feeling it, and then it's all of a sudden it's like you can't miss. Uh, what, what do you remember from that game? Ah, uh, man, that game was crazy. I remember uh, – so Dan uh, ended up getting – he was in foul trouble the whole game, and he had like one of his – uh, worst games that year, he was our leading scorer. And then we had Malcolm, he was in foul trouble, and we had a lot of young guys. So I knew in my mind, um, I would have had to, to keep us in the game, to keep us afloat, I would have to play out of my mind. And um, once I seen the first few go in, I was in a zone where, like, I, you know, I haven't felt that way often because, like, I was in a zone to where I, I, I couldn't miss, I felt like. I felt like every shot I make, it was going in, and that, that zone was crazy. Um, and that feeling was unbelievable. Obviously, I want to win. I wanted to win, so I didn't really get to celebrate it, to say, or, like, really understand what I did until, like, days later because I'm riding off of a loss, and it, was, it, was, it wasn't nothing to celebrate at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that's always tough when you put up a, a stat line like that and you're not able to get the victory. Um, yeah. what, what about – so – if, if you think back to your, your time at Akron, I mean, specifically your first two years, you know, 2015 and, and 2016, I mean, you were on two really, really good teams those two years, um, you know, made it to the NIT both years. What, what was it about those teams? I mean, when you think about the, the talent you guys had and the continuity, I mean, what was it about those teams you felt like that made you guys so good? I think the, I think the thing about them two teams was we had guys that was able to hold each other accountable. Um, you know, I, I've been on teams in the past where teams like uh, certain players didn't want to get held accountable. You know what I mean? Uh, they wanted to get special treatment, and and sometimes they did. But on them two particular teams, we from the number one guy to the last guy on the bench, everybody was held to the same standard. And I think us pushing each other and us holding up each other to that accountability made us, uh, you know, made us better and made us the team we were. And obviously, like you said, we made it to the NIT. We, we, were, in, we, we were an NCAA tournament team that year. Uh, yeah. Anybody that watched it or, or knows basketball, you, we, was, we were supposed to be in a tournament both those years. But, you know, things happen. And, uh, you know, one loss uh, can ruin it all. So that was what happened. But our team was, our team was really good. Yeah. Yeah, that is tough. I mean, you guys definitely deserve to be in, in, in the NCAA tournament those years. I, I certainly agree with you there. For, for someone, for, for any of our listeners that, that didn't get to watch you play personally while you were at Akron, how would you describe your game? Obviously, being a little bit of, of a bigger guard, but I think, what are you, 6'4", 6'5", yeah, somewhere in that? 6'4", yeah. 6'5", yeah. Yeah, so, so or would, you, would you consider yourself more, more of a shooter or more of like a, a get-to-the-rim type of guard? How, how would you describe your play? So in college, I was more of a slasher playmaker. Uh, I led the team in assists two years in a row. Uh, I was top. I was top two in assists uh, the year before. Uh, and obviously, I, I my senior or junior year, I forgot which one. Maybe both. I was like top ten in field goal percentage because I was getting to the rim. 
I was making plays for other guys. And I'll, I'll shoot occasional threes unless it's like a ball state game where I was just unconscious. But now pretty much like in a pro level, I shot like I shot over 40 some percent last year from three over at least 4.5 shots attempts a game. And uh, right now my jumper is feeling good in the off in the um, preseason right now. So like right now I'm more of a I do it all. I can uh, shoot from the outside, still slash, still play make. I play in the post a lot because you mentioned like I'm a big guard. Uh, coaches like to put me in the post a lot. Um, so to describe my game, that's pretty much like you said, like a big guard, explosive um, playmaker. Uh, I say playmaking is my biggest attribute and. You know, I don't always look at myself as a scorer. You know, uh, Coach Denver, my one of my old coach, always used to tell me like, we don't determine your game off the just the scoring section. We go to steals, we go to blocks, we go to rebounds, we go assists, we go points, and that's what that's the type of player I am. Gotcha. Yeah, you fill up a stat sheet in a, in a couple of different yeah. areas. Good, good stuff. When you think back to, to your time at Akron, I mean, there, there's obviously, you know, there, there's some great basketball programs in the MAC. You, you played against some great teams and some great players. I mean, I think back to that era, Kent State had some great teams. Buffalo had some great teams. If you think back, I mean, who, if, you th- if there's, you know, one or two players that you played against that really stick out in your mind, who, who do you think about as like some of the, you know, toughest players to guard or, or just generally speaking, the best competitors you went up against? Uh... I had to throw uh, C.J. Massenberg in there because I battled with him uh, for four years. We battled yeah. for all four years, and he was he was kind of like me. He was he scored the ball, but he played, he was a great defender, uh, and he was a competitor. I had to say Jalen Walker, one of the best scores I ever played against. Um, he played he he, he could score in, uh, three levels. He had three level scores, so he was one of the toughest. And then you got guys like uh, Marcus King, who was one of the top scorers in NCAA. He was yeah. a, he was a tough cover. Um, it was so many. I, like, I, I don't think a lot of people realize, especially my sophomore, freshman year, how, how many good players was in the MAC. Yeah. It was a lot of good players in the MAC, man. So to really pinpoint, it's hard to pinpoint, like, specific players, you know, because everybody had their moment when you played them. He was like, this guy can go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I've been asking a lot of these – so we've been interviewing a lot of Akron people recently, and, yeah. and one question I always like to ask is I, I feel like the the Akron-Kent State rivalry is a rivalry that not enough people understand or know about. Yeah. So, like, for a guy that grew up in Northeast Ohio and played basketball at Akron, how, how would you describe that rivalry and kind of the energy in those games when you guys would play Kent State? The rivalry was crazy, man. You had, like, the best way I can explain it is, like, as a player, I used to, the day before the games and stuff, I used to all day, 24 hours, think about that game. Like, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't do none of that. And that's how big the rivalry was. So you got to understand, we, we, we're so close. We always seeing them off campus or on campus. They always seeing us off campus or on campus, like, and, like, out of all the games, you want to win every game. Don't get me wrong. You want to win every game of every year. But that game, you want to win for the bragging rights. You don't want to lose that game. Because if you lose yes. that game, then you got to see them guys. And, you know, people going to talk. And growing up in Northeast Ohio, you know, I got a lot of friends that go to Akron and Kent. Yeah. So, I used to have friends at the game that went to Kent but were cheering for me uh, <laughs> and vice versa. And it was crazy. It was crazy, you know, to have – personal friends and stuff that was in it. And it was, it was just, it was, it was a big rivalry. 
Yeah, I, I can imagine. And, and as, as someone that's a, a huge Mac fan, it's like, like I said, I feel like it's a rivalry that doesn't get appreciated enough or, or yeah. talked about enough, you know, on a, on a larger scale nationally. So let's talk about your, your current state. I mean, you, you, so you graduated from Akron a few years ago. Your, your career has taken you overseas. I know you spent some time in Spain and you're in Luxembourg now. What's that been like? How's it been like being over there? I mean, I'm sure there's a little bit of a culture shock and, you know, the language barrier and stuff like that probably makes yeah. it tough. How, how's it been for you transitioning into that pro career overseas? Okay, so for people that don't know, when I first, when I first got to college last year, I got drafted by Memphis G League team. Uh, the Memphis Hustle. I was there for a little bit, uh, but they had uh, they had uh, Josh Jackson and a whole bunch of like veteran guys down. Uh, the coach yeah. wanted me there, and I wanted to be there, uh, but it just didn't click. It just didn't click uh, because of the situation they had with guys on the Grizzlies that was still playing down. De'Anthony Milton was even down there at the time when I was okay. there. Okay, yeah. Uh, so 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 I was I was in Memphis for a little bit, and they let me go. Cause I, like I said, it wasn't, it didn't click right. They, they, they was willing to bring me back uh, once the other guys got called up. But by that time I was already in Spain. So around, once I got let go by Memphis, I went to Spain around the end of December because I was still waiting around. I still had interest from other G League teams, other NBA teams. So I was going to wait, but they, it was uncertainty. So I said, I'm going to go overseas. I'm going to go to Spain and I'm going to collect this money and get some film and, you know, yeah. And I heard Spain was nice. So I went to Spain, like, end of December. Uh, I only played nine games there last year because of the COVID. It stopped the season at the, in, the, uh, in the middle of it. But it was oh, – yeah. And when I – the team I went to, uh, they, they won, like, four or five games before I got there. The nine games I played, we won five of the nine. And um, I was starting to really pick it up. Like, my last few games, I had, like, 25 points and 13 rebounds. And I had, like – 22 points, like 11 rebounds. I was really starting to catch my rhythm. Then the, the COVID-19 situation happened. And then at the, this summer, I had thought to like, I had offers in a lot of places, but with the COVID situation, again, what a lot of people don't know is money is down right now everywhere. Mostly okay. everywhere. Like the percentage of money is cut down. So yeah. I, had to, I had to go into it with a mindset of, you know, and, and then with the G League, uh, they, they don't know when Eric, that's going to start. Yeah. They got to wait for the NBA. So I had to go into mindset. Do I want to wait for that? Do I uh, want to go play somewhere where it's probably better competition, better basketball, but less money? Do I want to go here where it's more money, but less basketball, less competition? So I sat down with my agent. Uh, I got the Luxembourg offer. And he told me pretty much like, you know, with this COVID situation, a lot of things uncertain right now. You want to yeah. take someone where you get paid. It's a nice amount of money. It's a great situation here in Luxembourg. Uh it's right in between, for people that know, it's right in between France and Germany and Belgium. It's right in between okay. all of those. Yeah. So like, and, and my coach, I like my coach. Uh, and my coach actually spoke with Romeo Travis before signing me. And Rome shoot, shot me a text. And I asked Rome how he felt about it. And Rome told me how he felt about it. And I, I, that played into a big consideration uh, what I was going to do. So I said I wasn't going to wait. I'm going I'm, I'm to sign. I'm going to take this situation. And I'm here right now. And then, you know, at the end of this season or whatever situation happened, then I'm going to test and see if I do want to go back to the uh, G League or the NBA or do I want to go somewhere higher overseas. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's, that's where I'm at right now for people that don't know uh, about the stage and where I'm at. But as far as, like, the barriers and stuff, Luxembourg is more Americanized, shall I say. It's more – it's easier to get used to. In Spain, yeah. I had a tough time. My first week there – I had a tough time. I couldn't. Yeah. I'm a real picky eater. 
Um, I couldn't eat a lot of this stuff. <laughs> so I had to, nah, seriously. So I had to find, like, I had to cook every day uh, yeah. with stuff that I like. Um, but the people was nice. The people was nice. I loved my time in Spain. I love my, and I and I love where I'm at right now. So it it it's different for sure, but it was it's, it's worth it. You know what I'm saying? Experience the world and stuff. For sure. Yeah. That no, I think that's a good mindset you have, man. And what about so you you mentioned kind of like the the level of competition and like trying to weigh you know better competition versus less money or or vice versa. Yeah. How would yeah. you compare? I mean, if if you think about the the you know the the programs you played against in the Mac versus the teams you're, you know, the talent you see in Spain or now in Luxembourg, how would you compare the talent in those leagues to like, you know, division one basketball here in the States? So over uh, European basketball uh, to me, it's very similar to NCAA, meaning uh, you can sit in the paint a, a lot of times, like you could pack the paint, you know, like in the NBA and stuff, you, it's spacing, it's spacing. The rules are, made for spacing and a lot of scoring sure, okay. and stuff. Yeah. And Europe and basketball in Europe is packed. The paint is packed, which is similar to Division One basketball. And as far as talent-wise, like in Spain, everyone knows Spain. Spain has talent. Spain is it's a lot of good – you you walk in the gym and you would look at a guy, he'd be like 5'11". You'd be like, this guy is what I'm hearing about. And then you would play against him. You'd be like, he's physically strong. He's yeah. fundamental. He's quick. Like, and that's how I was. And in Luxembourg, I only played one scrimmage so far. So I, I haven't really got the um, experience of uh, the players over here. But I know in Spain, my experience in Spain, the players in Spain was – and it was a lot of players um, that I was familiar with. Like, I played against DG Ibitayo, who played at Akron years ago. Okay, and, yeah. Yeah, that was fun to actually play against uh, one of my friends. He's he, he a good friend of mine. So that was fun. And, you know, the talent over there is, is, is high. And, then you know – if you go to the top level of Spain, which is called the ACB, that's that's the next best league outside the NBA. So okay, you know, wow, okay. Yeah, so Spain got respect for sure. So that that ACB league, that's like that's like uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona. That's the league Luca was in before he came over here, right? I, I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Good stuff, man. Well, uh, last question I got for you before I let you go. Um, got to get your thoughts on on the current NBA playoffs. Obviously, it looks like the, the, the Lakers won last night. It looks like they're going to finish off the Rockets. Wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers did the same thing to the Nuggets here tonight. Looks yeah. like we're looking, we're looking at L.A. versus L.A. in the West. Uh, I'd love to also get your thoughts on this Celtics-Raptors game seven later tonight. Uh, how do you see the rest of these playoffs playing out? Uh, first thing first, let me say this. Everyone knows that knows me is Russell Westbrook is my favorite player. He's my favorite okay. player. And I'm very disappointed right now in his current state that the Rockets is in. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. But I think personally, and I'm a big fan of Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. He's one of my, I think he's, I don't want to say that, you know, I went to Akron and LeBron sponsors us and stuff. But I think <laughs> if, if, if I had to pick one player to win me a championship right now, it would be between LeBron and Kawhi Leonard. And from last playoffs, I had to say Kawhi Leonard got it right now. And a lot of people kick me for saying that. But that's no knock to LeBron because I'll take either one. I'll take either one. Yeah, but yeah. I think as far as the Lakers versus Clippers, the Clippers, I feel like, got a better bench, got more players that can um, do, uh, you know, score the ball, can defend. I think the Clippers win that. Um, unless LeBron go into LeBron mode, which he has been lately, to where he's – no one can stop him. And if yeah. he goes into that mode – I say the Lakers got a good chance, but me personally, I think the Clippers going to win it all. And as far as the Celtics-Raptors, I, 
the Raptors got momentum after that win last game, but I think the Celtics are a better team. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that one. I think for me it's a shame. Like I feel like it's clearly like the Lakers and the Clippers to me are the two best teams. And it's a yeah. shame that they're gonna have to play in the in the conference finals instead of the, you know, the, exactly. the NBA finals. But uh anyway, that's neither here nor there. We'll see, we'll see how the rest of these uh the playoffs play out here. Well, uh Jamon. Can't thank you enough for, for taking some time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Our fans appreciate it. All, you know, the Zips United, everyone back at Akron, I know they're going to love hearing from you. So um, we appreciate having you on, man. We appreciate you taking some time. Love to have you back on sometime again in the future. Yes, sir, man. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. No problem. Thank you, well, have a good one. Yes, sir. You too. All right. See Recording. Welcome, guys, to another segment of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Thelman, joined, as always, by Zach Foley. Now, we've got a special guest. You guys know we've been running through these kind of Akron special guests. Shout out to uh, Zips United once again just for setting all this up. We've got actually the head of the men's soccer coach, Jared Imbeck. Jared, how are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. How about you, Zach? Yeah, we're, we're doing well. We, uh, we appreciate you joining us, Coach. We're excited to talk a little uh, Akron men's soccer here. Okay. Yeah. For sure. And so, Jared, we, we want to kick it off, get your background, how you got involved in soccer and just how you became a, a coach in general. Yeah, you know, like I think most guys, they, they start at a young age playing. And, you know, I played at school. Um, you know, I wasn't a big-time player by any means. I went to Indiana Wesleyan. Good career for, for that level. Um, but I knew halfway through that I wasn't going to play pro. So I started coaching in the off season as a sophomore in college, just a local team, U12. And, you know, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the relationships developed with the families and players. And uh, so when I got done, I just, just got a graduate assistantship back in near my hometown in St. Louis and um, started coaching there. And, you know, I liked it. So I just stuck with it. And, you know, then, then it's about, uh, you know, catching some breaks, doing a good job, working hard. And that's what I did. I just worked. I would coach, uh, you know, as men and women's assistant at Missouri Baptist as a 21-year-old. And then I'd go and leave there and go coach club and, you know, be gone from like 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. for three, four years straight. And then got lucky the, uh, you know, we were doing well and the head coach left and then they gave me the men's job. I didn't want to do both. That was you know, 24-year-old coaching a women's team was brings up a lot of challenges. So I just stuck with the men and uh, did well. And then I met uh, – st- I, I still coach club in the evenings. And, um, you know, I was fortunate to work uh, IU camp. Got hooked up there, and that's where I met Caleb Porter. And he was the one who gave me my break and, and believed in me and brought me to Akron as an assistant. And we obviously started a pretty good run that, that we've continued to this point. And uh, – you know, I caught a break. So uh, my advice to everyone is, look, you, you know, you, if you just focus on what you're doing now and do the best you can and, and, you know, try to get out and meet people and stretch yourself a bit, then hopefully you meet someone that can give you a break and, and allow you a chance to show what you can do. And if you do, you know, they'll, they'll find you, you know, but you got to be willing to, to work hard. And um, in some cases, you can't get too far ahead of yourself. You just got to stay in the moment and and, and do the best job where you're at. And, and that's worked out well for me in my career. 
Awesome advice. Yeah, I couldn't agree with uh, agree with you more there, Coach. Uh, so, wanted to talk to you a little bit about your your time at Akron. So, you, you mentioned uh, you know you came there as an assistant back in I would I think it was two thousand seven. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Um, so, what what's it been like for you to kind of build this program up? I mean, you look at the history of Akron soccer over the course of their history. I mean, they were certainly a, a, a good program. I don't know if I'd classify them as a great program, but now, I mean, since the mid 2000s, since you've been there, I mean, this is a program that has legitimately become one of the best in the country. I mean, what, what's it been like for you having been there since the beginning of this, since it started to, to kind of see this, you know, progression from, from the ground up? Yeah, I think it started a lot with uh, Caleb's vision, you know, he played at IU and, and played on a lot of winning teams, and he just believed he could make a winner wherever he went. And then he was able to bring in people that complimented him and be able to convince the university that, hey, if you guys are willing to back us, we can take this to the top. And, um, you know, I think that that's where it starts. So you got to have someone that believes in, in the, you know, basically your project. And that was him. And, you know, the first thing he did was, get on the road and we're like, why can't we get the best American players? I think Akron's formula before then was um, maybe some local guys, some international guys um, combine them. And then he's like, well, let's, let's get the best. And uh, when I came in 2007 and he, he put me in charge of recruiting with uh, Dave Gifford, I, we, we were fortunate. We had, you know, just an abundance of talent in Ohio. We had Darlington Nagby, um, out of St. Edward's Eds. Um, Kofi Sarkoti was down in the Dayton, Cincinnati area. Chad Barson was in Columbus. Um, and all these guys um, had really good friends. So we're like, look, let's just get Ohio kids. And Darlington's best friend was Teal Bunbury, you know. And then Chad Barson and Kofi, their best friends were like Scott Caldwell and, and uh, Zarek Valentin and some of these David Mavis Um you know, so we got those guys and, um, you know, I think the assistant before me, though, uh, Ryan Higginbotham, he got a couple key guys, uh, Anthony and Piper talk one from his hometown in Dallas. I think he had a connection there. And then uh, Steve Zakawani. So Ampi and Steve were kind of the, the first mold. And then it went kind of Darlington, Teal, Michael Nanchoff, um, that group. And then it kind of went Chad Barson, Zarek, David Mavis. And I think that group kind of, changed the whole outlook when we were able to get get them. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ampi got Blair. Um, Steve-O, I don't know if you guys ever saw Steve Zakawani play. Um, yeah. But he was uh, – if he didn't break his leg in the MLS, he would have been considered one of the best MLS players, I think, ever to play. Um, those guys were just really exciting, a lot of personality, very dynamic players. And, and, and you know, Caleb was a perfect coach for him, was able to bring out the best in them and – what I did was not only kind of help those guys, you know, get to the table here at Akron, but my specialty was, was um, just style of play and um, coaching on the field to where we could develop a unique style that uh, fit Caleb well. And then he, he kind of drove it. And, you know, I was in charge of attacking um, how we played in the attack, um, scouting and recruiting. Those were my responsibilities. So I kind of, took that on and did did pretty well with it, I believe. And um, it's a lot easier with those type of players. But for us, we, we never really ever allowed ourselves to believe that, hey, we're 
whatever Akron mid major. We never really believed that. We just said, look, we know what we can do. Let's get the people we can do it with. And I think that was what worked was that we never said, Hey, we're, we're underdogs here. It's no, we can, we can be the best from day one. And then that, that kind of mindset has carried on through where we're at now to where, you know, we, we obviously are considered one of the best programs and, and consistently challenging for championships and, have a lot of interest of players coming here. And, and, you know, I think we're known for, you know, at the end of the day, I think we're known as maybe one of the most attractive teams to watch play um, with our attacking style. Uh, for sure. So I'm just kind of curious, you were brought back in 2012 and you mentioned Porter giving you that chance. I'm just curious, have you, I know you recently signed a contract last year, extension to 2022. Have you ever considered potentially moving on from Akron? What, what keeps you at Akron because you've had so much success? Have you thought about going to another program, potentially building another kind of dynasty like you have at Akron? Well, uh, I mean, I think when you're a coach, you always are thinking about other opportunities to some extent. Um, for me, what we have here is unique and special, and any move to another university is a lateral move at best. Um, it would be mostly to try and, and continue to build what you would do here. So I'm like, look, if I'm going someplace else and I'm starting over to try to get what I currently have. So for me, I would rather continue to build on what we're doing and involve it than, than start over again. What would be the reason would be as if, you know, the school just can't support you the way you need to, to continue this project. Um, you know, I think that would be why, I mean, you know, one thing about mid-majors, I think that that has to change in terms of overall is just the attitude that, you know, it's a stepping stone type of process, like whether you're a coach or administrator that, look, I'm here for two, three years, then I'm going to move on to big jobs. And, and obviously some of these jobs pay a lot of money, but I think for me, the goal has always been to, to make the best of what, where you're at and, and grow that. And I still don't believe we're at the best we can do here at Akron. So that kind of continues to, to drive me. I think there's more things we can achieve and, um, you know, the reputation and how we do it. I, I have a lot of freedom to, to kind of build this thing and, and evolve it the way I want. Good stuff. Uh, Coach, I was, um, you know, I was doing some research uh, in preparation for this interview and I, I was looking back through, you know, some of the, the notable players you guys have put into the MLS and I, I came across this fact that I, I can't believe I didn't know this, but going back to the 2011 MLS draft, you guys had five players drafted in the top 10, uh, first 10 picks of that draft that year. Talk about that. I mean, f from a program perspective, I mean, that's you, you come off the 2010 national championship and you have five players selected in the 2011 MLS draft. I mean, talk about how big it is for a program like Akron to, to have that kind of the exposure that you get from putting so many guys you know, at, at the highest level of soccer in, in America. Well, well, when you're recruiting, most players want to go places that can help you achieve their dreams and move on to the next level. So when we were able to, you know, I think in that draft, we had eight, seven, eight guys in the first round, uh, so many in the top 10, as you mentioned. Um, you know, obviously that, that kind of validated our project and what we were doing and, and how we did it. And uh, for us, I mean, th those players, and, and I remind our guys, is the, their level of consistency, those throughout their career was extremely high. Like um, 2009, 2010, we lost one game, you know, in two years. And uh, we lost the nine in PKs. 
Um, we lost in 10 to probably one of the, I don't want to say, uh, probably one of the teams that you'd never expect us to lose to, you know, Cleveland State was their only loss in, in two years. And you, we play always one of the top five schedules in the country. Um, we play anybody out of conference. And I feel like what we do at Akron is we will go play at your place and, and try to grow the game and play at some very difficult places to where, where your chances of winning are, are, are last, but it kind of grows our development, our, our players and allows them to go through different kind of experiences that I think then make them, you know, a little bit more ready to play at the next level. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think that helped, but what it did was just kind of validate what we're doing and how we do it and uh, gave everybody else kind of, uh, you know, the go ahead to call us maybe the best. Yeah, awesome. And I, I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, what's been your favorite moment over the program? Obviously we touched on the national championship, but to you, what's been the highlight of your time at, uh, at Akron? It's a great question. I, I mean, there's so many good moments. You, you know, you always put winning at the top, um, you know, when you win the title and, and you get over the hump, but I, I think in 18, you know, our team there where we really started like six, six and two and really struggled. And then we, we went on the run and we won at, uh, Syracuse we won at Wake Forest and then in the Elite Eight we we played Stanford at Stanford and you know we lost to him in the 15 in the semis and PKs we lost him 17 in the semis and they're three-time defending champions and we beat them at their place three to two and it wasn't that we beat them it's it's the way we played I mean the goal to win the game is I mean that's a commercial for what we try to do as a as a program in terms of the attack I think it was 34 passes, um, one, two touch soccer, great movement, uh, basically a tap in on the road under 10 minutes left to win, to win an elite eight game. I, I think that moment was, was special because it's, you know, maybe there's a lot of emotion that went into it because of the history between the two programs. Um, I'd have to put that one in the 2010 final up there. Yeah. Awesome stuff. I, I'm curious, Coach, uh, you know, I'm curious about your, how, how you go about recruiting internationally, right? Because, I, you know, I look at your roster now and, you know, I, I see, um, you know, I see Spain, Italy, Portugal, Ireland. And, you know, I'm someone, you know, I, I, I really enjoy watching, you know, European soccer, whether it's EPL, La Liga, whatever the case may be. But I think, you know, obviously the systems over there in those countries, the youth systems are much different than they are here, where it's, you know, a player comes up through a youth academy and, you know, so on and so forth, under 18, under 21. When you're going to Spain or, or Italy or any of those countries, is it a tough sell to get a kid to come to college and, and, and you know, sell it as, you know, continue your education and play soccer while you're doing it? I mean, what, how, what's the recruiting pitch when you're going overseas to, to recruit? Yeah, no, uh, you know, for us, you know, you kind of have, um, you know, people that kind of run these recruiting companies that, you know, are former college players that have gone back um, and they're pretty familiar with the college game. So when they get a high level international player, that's, that's, they feel fits into our style of play. And, and, you know, most people feel we have a European style to us. Uh, they reach out. And when we go to Europe or any of those places, we, we typically go with a specific need. It's we've lost the player early and the American player we may want has turned pro or committed elsewhere because of the timing um, of when we could get them. So then 
we really have a specific need and those guys have recommendations. So when we get to that point of watching them, there's, there's been a lot of work done that, look, if Akron makes an offer to you, they got to be a serious uh, somebody you seriously consider. Whether, whether or not we get them, maybe we don't offer them enough money versus maybe another top school, right? But uh, for us, it's, it's kind of we, – we rarely go over there and just hope we find something. We kind of, you know, so expensive and, and you have to manage your budget. We kind of go over there with the purpose. Um, so, you know, things work out. It kind of moves quickly with, with the Europeans. But we, we get a ton of interest. I mean, there's a lot of kids from Europe that want to come and play soccer, and um, you know, not only here but elsewhere. Um, but we get – usually we get a high level of recommendations of players. Awesome. And I'm just curious, what, what do you, obviously we talked about recruiting, like what do you consider as like the main reason why you get so good? Was it the recruiting you guys that you mentioned earlier? Was it your kind of game plan and how that you fit with the players? Like what, what makes you guys like so elite compared to the rest of the programs? You know, everything has to go going together. So you have to recruit good players and you have to coach them well and your culture has to be right. If any of those are off, you, you can be average or below average. It, it's not, hey, it's not what everybody thinks. I'm going to go get the five best players. Well, if those guys don't get along, it doesn't matter, right? It's So you got to create – the first thing you got to do is just create a winning culture. And I think that's what we did, and, and it's very competitive. Then we got the right personalities that could play here, right? And then the style comes from the strengths of your, your players. So you, you have to – create the style you want and then you always try to recruit within it but you have to be a little bit adaptable to the strength of your players but essentially we we want personalities and players that that want to take the initiative that want to dominate that want to play attacking soccer and you know you get that right and you cultivate it and and you push them and then you get a winning winning environment you know it's just something and then what you want is you want your seniors to teach your juniors, your juniors to teach your sophomores, your sophomores to teach the freshmen. And then, you know, the expectations and the consistency stays. So coach, obviously this, uh, you know, this fall, this whole year has just been completely unprecedented. So, you know, so much has happened and obviously that the Mac has, uh, you know, postponed fall sports for now. Um, what's, what's your message been to, to the team here over these last few months? Obviously you're not getting to play any games, you guys still on some some type? I'm sure you're on still on some type of practice or workout schedule. I mean, what are you doing to, to keep the guys engaged and really kind of just without with all the uncertainty around you know when we're going to be playing again? What, what's been your message? Yeah, I think our message is look, you know, you're either getting better, or you're getting worse, you know, and we can't necessarily control certain decisions and what we do, but we can control how we handle it and, and how we prepare for our next opportunity and. Um, look, if we're going to blow it off and be upset and down, then then we're going to digress as a team. Or we can just kind of deal with it and push each other and use this as a time to attack our weaknesses, address some issues within within the team that we know need to be better if we want to win a championship. And we've got to do that with a purpose and urgency. And you know what? I've been pretty pleased with our guys. I think, you know, when you'd say you played five, you know, I mean, it's been about five months where they had nothing when they shut it down, where they could do very little. And I don't know if we would have played um, how good the level would have been from anybody. I think 
these guys are still taking. We've been about four or five weeks in, and, you know, we've been struggling with getting guys consistently through practices at a, at a high tempo and intensity. It's, you know, it's taken a while. I don't know. Without coming back in the summer, I don't know how teams could have been ready. So, in hindsight, I think I think it was a good decision to postpone and, and allow us a chance to get these guys back ready into physical form they need and, and just the routine. Um, but for us, it's it's you gotta you gotta move forward or else you're in trouble. You know, everybody's hunting for us. So, um, if we ain't moving forward, then we're moving backwards, and that's that can't be acceptable here. Okay, well said. And I, I got one more question. I don't know if Zach has any left. So when, when you look at uh, the past draft picks, like we, uh, you, we obviously know the players you mentioned, the Jao Mantino who just went number one overall in 2018. Do you – so in recruiting, do you realize how good – are these players already as good? Or are they, like, like I don't know how to phrase this. Like, like when, when do you realize how good these players can be? Is it like when you see them on a recruiting visit? Do you see them when they're at practice? Like, how do you, how do you kind of see how good these players can be, essentially? Yeah, I, I think when you watch a talented player that's good enough to go to the next level, you recognize the talent. What you, you learn as a coach when you, you talk to them more, we, you coach them, is, is their mentality allowing them to, to reach their potential and be in a basically competitive environment, you know, as a pro player. I mean, how many people dream of that and how difficult of a job is it? And, uh, you know, I think that's where, where we help, you know, college, you know, you can see talent, but some of them need direction. You know, some of them need some some help finding the right path and understanding who they are. And some kids just need time to grow up and, and figure some of these things out in a less pressure environment, um, you know, just because that, that's their personality. So, but I mean, when you watch Drow, when you watch Darlington, um, you realize it right away. It's just, what do they have inside them? You know, for like a guy like Steve Zakawani, he had six goals as a freshman, and then he had 20-something as a sophomore. Bill Bunbury, same thing, like six and then 18. So their progression from one year to two, you can see the growth they've had. And Darlington, you know, as a freshman started, you know, half his games. He may be considered the best player in MLS right now. Started half his games as a freshman, and then, you know, two years later, he's he's – Herman Trophy winner for college, and now he may be the best. And I think all those guys will will tell you that hey, the the time in college, whether you spent four years or one, was was meaningful for him. Um, but that's it. I mean, it's there's a lot of guys with talent, but there's not a lot of guys with the right ingredients upstairs or inside them to to maximize it and make the most of it and, and be at a place to where you guys know who they are. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Coach, final question for me here, uh, a, little, a little bit lighter. Nothing soccer related, but all of our guests that come on here, you know, Sam and I, we, we love to eat, right? So all our guests come on here, we, we always ask the question, you know, if, if we're in, say, you know, next fall or whenever soccer comes back, if we come to Akron to watch you guys play, um, if we're in and around campus, uh, what, what's kind of your go-to spot uh, somewhere around campus to, to go, you know, grab a bite? Yeah, I would say uh, there's, there's – uh... Two, well, we got three unique places. Lock 15 okay. uh, has the best Nashville chicken um, I've had. Um, Arche Brewing Company have great pizzas. 
um obviously beer i don't know how old you guys are but <laughs> then lockview, you, yeah yeah then lockview they have a bunch of grilled cheese sandwiches and uh that are unique and it's a nice little uh atmosphere in the middle of uh, downtown Th- those three places i think are are worth your time and visit and you'll enjoy them well thank you we 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 generally appreciate your time we i think me and zach can both say we learned a little bit about the akron program we we thank you for your time well thank you guys for having me and I wish you guys the best and uh, please let me know if i can do anything else oh we we'd love to have you on maybe if you guys win another national championship or two yeah. <laughs> i'll be happy i'll be happy to be on and then uh by then i'll have to have a more room in the back of my office <laughs> yeah yeah i hang a couple more jerseys up a couple more trophies well awesome thanks a lot coach we really appreciate your time oh you guys are welcome have a great day welcome to the outro of the mid-american bandwagon podcast i'm your host sam thoman joined with zach zach we had a i would say pretty good from the general news talking about Mac potentially coming back to our interviews to the what if shin segment do you have any final thoughts on this episode uh no I just you know thank you to everyone that joined us this week obviously James our uh, creative director always brings it uh so we had a, a great segment with him and I think I can't thank enough the the three uh Akron folks who stopped by uh Jamon and, and Demetrius and, and coach Embic great getting to talk to them and, and learn a little bit more about the culture of you know athletics at Akron and uh, talk to some of the greats there and, you know, some of the people that have really shaped that athletic program here over the last 10, 15 years. Oh, no doubt. I, I was super excited to talk to them. We got, I, th- I think we got a bunch of information that people didn't even realize before, kind of like behind the scenes wise. And I'd like to mention, like, I'll just hint out, we, we may have a interview with a current player. I won't say who yet because it hasn't been decided, uh, like the date and whatnot. That, so just be on the lookout for that. That may be in the works within the next uh, one or two weeks. We're super excited for that as well. But yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. I'm Sam Thilman for Zach Folly. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you guys next Friday.